Welcome to the UDIA Queensland's Development Drum podcast, where we learn from members about the property sector and at the same time, get to know your industry colleagues a little bit better. Hi, my name's Chelsea and today we're interviewing Don O'Rourke from Consolidated Properties Group. As a founding member of Consolidated Properties Group, Don O'Rourke is a Brisbane-based property developer that needs no introduction in the property industry. He has successfully shaped the business over the past four decades to its current $2.3 billion development pipeline. Don has devoted himself to instilling strong values into the group and is focused on building lasting relationships with stakeholders and business partners. He's also well known for supporting philanthropic initiatives that benefit the broader community. Welcome, Don. Hi, Chelsea. Thanks for having me on your show today. Thank you for making the time. So I guess the purpose of this podcast is to get to know our industry colleagues a bit better uh, and learn about how you spend your days, what motivates you, why you're part of the property industry and why you love it. So can you tell us a little bit about what a typical day looks like for you? So a typical day for me, Chelsea, is um, I have nine children, so it's a, always a busy morning. I imagine it is. How it do you is, get out uh, the door before 10? Well, happily, um, six of them are still at home. So three have grown up. So there's only six to manage. Okay. But So a normal day for me is um, we get up at 6 a.m., mm-hmm. get the kids organised, drop them to the school bus, which leaves from the um, Brookfield General Store so we don't have to sit in the traffic, come back home and, uh, and we have a personal trainer that comes to the house. So I do a session with her and then I'll head into our office in the city in about mid-morning, avoiding the traffic. So, mm-hmm. so it's a busy but fun start to each day. And I have spotted you a few times downstairs enjoying a a coffee. So is that part of your routine too? Absolutely. I mean, we've always had our offices in the CBD right from when we started, um, you know, back in the early 1980s. And the reason for that is we're close to everyone that brings us deals like the agents, documents deals like the lawyers, um, and our bankers, which finance the deals. And part of that culture is to sit down and enjoy a coffee in a less structured environment than what might happen in the office. So, yep, as you're walking along Eagle Street, you'll see me sitting out the front of Cafe Pacino talking to people. And would you say uh, a lot of what your success in property has come down to relationships and cultivating and maintaining them over the years? Most definitely. I mean, I think probably our single biggest differentiator is that we believe we're in a service industry and our job is to make our clients or our customers um, needs fulfilled. So we, we define our customers as that broad range of people that occupy the properties we develop. So whether it's Coles or Woolworths or whether it's an Horizon office user or whether it's a young couple renting one of our apartments or a downsizer couple are retiring to one of our apartments, we believe if we look after those people's or organisations' needs, we can build a successful transaction. So we very much think we're in a service-based industry and by definition that means relationships are absolutely central to what we do. And going back in time, uh, obviously you've been in the industry a, a long time, but what was your first ever job in property? So my first job after graduating with a business degree was uh, at CBRE and I worked in a team that leased city offices, suburban offices and retail. And I went on to be the manager of that department not long after I started at CBs. And would you say that ignited your passion for property and the transition ultimately into development? Absolutely. I spoke before, Chelsea, about fulfilling our customers' or clients' needs. 
being in leasing, that is absolutely what the day-to-day job is. Um, so the first project Consolidated Properties did was while I was actually still at CBRE, and that was to take uh, Westpac, which had a requirement for a small office building at Lutwedge, take that requirement and turn that into a transaction which we invested in. Um, so that was looking after our client, making a property transaction from that, and really we haven't done anything else but that in the 40 years since. And in terms of your career spans decades, what would you say is the most pivotal thing that's happened for you? Uh, well, we had a, a couple of seminal projects over that 40 years. I mean, obviously the first one, that got us on, mm-hmm. on the pathway. Probably the next one was the Commonwealth Law Courts, which we did in the ni- late 1980s. So we went from doing a $10 million warehouse out at Eagle Farm to a $130 million highly specialised, highly specced institutional building in one jump. So that was clearly a, a seminal project for us. Probably the next one then was Casuarina Beach, which was our first large master plan community. And that jumped to that level of complexity, which long-term master plan communities have, was a big jump for us. And then from both of those bases, we've continued to do large, complex transactions since that time. And as someone planning their succession, what would you say are some of the key skills that upcoming leaders need to have today to build a successful career? Well, again, I might sound like a bit of a broken record here, but I think if you recognise that you are in a service industry, we're all in a service industry in effect, because without our customers and clients, we don't have a business. So to have the self-awareness, which is a really good trait to have, self-awareness to be able to make a judgment as to whether you're doing things for the right reason. So I would say the best quality a leader can have is the self-awareness quality. Mm-hmm. And do you think empathy and emotional intelligence are important parts of that mix to understand the customer's point of view? Absolutely. So if you if you practice self-awareness, that more or less infers, you know, you can sit in the other person's shoes, which is what empathy is, and you can sense their needs and tailor not only transactions, but conversations to your customer and client's needs. So I understand CPG operates across a number of asset classes and has for many years. Is there one that you think holds more opportunities than others in the next five to 10 years? Uh, Not really, Chelsea. I mean, coincidentally, our workbook is divided almost equally into retail and commercial, so that's shopping centres and office buildings, and residential. And residential uh, is primarily apartments, but also master plan communities. If you sort of think, well, what drives those markets? The main thing that drives those markets is population growth. So as 30,000 people moved to Queensland last year, you sort of think about that. That's the equivalent of a Gladstone or three Warwicks. Mm-hmm. And you think about all of the things that are in those regional towns. You know, there's shopping centres, schools, hospital, lots and lots of houses. So population growth drives development. And for us, we're we're lucky to have a good skill set in both residential and commercial. So I don't see that changing uh, in the long term. And in terms of the pandemic, I mean, we've all, we're all still in it. And obviously, it's required businesses to adapt and evolve. What impacts did it have inside your business? So if you think about the component parts I mentioned that we have in our business, the shopping centres are anchored by Coles and or Woolworths. We've got 250, 300 specialty shops in that portfolio. So our retail team had to do deals with every single one of those tenants. So last year was very, very busy as we 
tried to work with them to ride out the pandemic, to implement the Commonwealth Government's requirements for landlords, treatment of tenants, all those things. What that adds up mm. to is 300 individual deals done. So they were really busy on that. Um, however, the good thing to come out of the pandemic was the demonstrated resilience of neighbourhood centres as an asset class. We didn't lose one of those tenants during COVID and all of our institutional investors are saying they want more and more of that product. So the pricing has been re-rated on that asset class, yields have tightened. So it's turned out to be a good thing, but lots and lots of work. In our office space business, the really significant transaction we did last year at the height of COVID was to partner with Deutsche Bank's offshoot DWS. It's a fund manager in excess of a trillion dollars of assets to partner us on the development of 895 Ann Street. Now, that's a $260 million investment Deutsche made into the Brisbane economy, the Queensland economy, the Australian economy. No pre-commitment. And that really underwrites the confidence, I think, that capital has in Queensland and its treatment of COVID. So that was really good. The downside was in our residential apartments off the plan business, it seemed everyone wanted to come to Queensland, but they wanted to go to the Gold Coast or the Sunshine Coast last year. So lots and lots of sales, lots of booming markets in those two areas. But we were pretty quiet in that market last calendar year. I think the penny dropped for the market this year. Investors are back and owner-occupiers are back. And what they're saying is we want to be in Brisbane because that's where the jobs are. So we've noticed a big uptick in our off-the-plan sales business in Brisbane um, to the extent where we're fast-tracking future stages at our Yorongpili Green project and our Cornerstone Living project. And as you may have read in the press, we've recently contracted to buy the 600 Coronation Drive site from Sunland. So lots of activity in that market. And I guess that leads into the next question around the Olympics announcement. Within... A day of the announcement, you brought forward a development. So you see, I guess, is it a number of factors converging to make it even more compelling to support development activity in Brisbane, Greater Southeast Queensland? Yeah, so what I sort of see playing out right at the moment is a very strong COVID influence. And as I was saying before, Queensland has been really well received and managed by the national community and the international community because of our handling of COVID. And that means lots of people want to come here. So if you just think about 30,000 people last year, they can only be people in Australia. There are also 600,000 expats returning to Australia, all of whom have to be housed. We haven't had any immigration yet. We haven't had any students. We haven't had any 457 visa people. So COVID is going to be a big driver of population growth. The second thing is the Olympics. And the Olympics really present to southeast Queensland, particularly, a golden decade or maybe even two golden decades of growth. All of a sudden, we are an international city. In the same sentence, if you rattle off Tokyo, Paris, Los Angeles, what's the next city? Brisbane. So that Olympic city thing is going to have a lot of tangible benefits. We've got to build a lot of stuff. We've got to build you know, extensions to stadiums, new roadworks, all those sort of things. So lots of money to be spent creating jobs. But the second and maybe even more important factor is the intangible, the intangible of being an internationally recognised Olympic city. And I go back to Deutsche Bank making a decision to put $260 million into our economy. Imagine if um, 
Brisbane was the Olympic city when that decision would be made, how much easier that would have been for that credit committee in Germany to make that decision. So we're going to see lots and lots of those decisions made of capital investing into this region because of the Olympics. So really exciting time. So a good time to be a property developer in Queensland then. Absolutely. What do you think will happen to demand when we do open the borders? Obviously, people from interstate want to move to Queensland. When we open the borders officially to the rest of the world, we might have a higher profile thanks to the Olympics. What do you think will unfold? Well, demand's just going to absolutely spike across every sector. If we've seen 30,000 people move here at the height of COVID, what will we see when all of those categories I mentioned before are able to freely come here? expats returning, um, overseas migration, students returning, backpackers returning. The growth should be phenomenal across every sector. Well, it's a a really positive story, but as you seek to step out of the day-to-day in the coming years, what will you miss the most about it? It seems like you're passionate about the deal maybe or having a vision for things and how they'll unfold. Yeah, well, I I turned 60 in February this year, so you've got to think of the future when you get to that stage. So if you think our business has been around for 40 years, but we also have projects like Yurongpili Green, which have 10-year lifespans. So I needed to be able to say to the market, we have a succession plan in place because we intend to be around for a lot longer than the next 10 years. We're very fortunate in having a great bench at the top of our business, Kieran Cox, Tonya Pettis and James McGinley. Of the three, they decided James at 38 was the one to step up. So I'll transition out of the CEO role over the next couple of years to chairman and James will pick up from being head of residential to being CEO. Um, Now that should see us through a period of high growth. I mean, we intend to add more and more capital to our business and the opportunities that are going to come from this golden decade will be significant. So we're making sure our organisation is right-sized to be able to cope with that growth. So what that means for me is I can still stay at home and go to the personal <laughs> trainer in the morning. Maybe uh, some more surfing if you can get out of the country. Maybe some more surfing, maybe some more skiing, some more snowboarding. But, you know, my youngest child is in year six. So, you know, I've got six or seven years till he leaves school. So, um, so yeah, so I'm not really going anywhere, but I'm merely transitioning out. But you also got to recognise that at 60, you're not what you are at 40 in terms of the ability to f- that high level of focus that's required. So it's all about making, it's about self-awareness. It's about making decisions to enable the organisation to continue beyond when I've got my hands on every lever. And you mentioned in an interview with our CEO, Kirsty, that, you know, a federal election can create some inertia, which happened back in 2019. How do you think that might play out in the first part of next year? Well, clearly the feds are going to the election next year, not this year. Um, This time is different, though, because we've got COVID. There's a lot of noise around COVID in terms of vaccination rates and state versus federal. So I would suggest we're We have that noise already, not because of the federal election, but because of COVID. I think in many senses, people will be glad we get to the election because coincidentally, we'll be past the 70 or 80% vax rate everywhere. And I reckon next year, people will come back after Christmas ready for a boom. That would be my take, that um, get ready for the boom of 2022. Fabulous. Well, it's been great to chat to you, Don. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks very much, Chelsea.
thanks for listening to the UDA Queensland's Development Drum Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. And if you want to hear more episodes, visit udiaqld.com.au forward slash podcasts and send us your comments and questions via marketing at udiaqld.com.au. Remember to subscribe, rate and review this show on your favourite podcast app. We'll be releasing a new episode every month, so we look forward to having you back.